This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with me, Art Wiederman, CPA. Uh, I am a dental-specific CPA. My practice is located in Southern California in the city of Tustin, uh, and I'm also a proud member of the National Academy of Dental CPAs, which is 24 CPA firms across the United States. I was a founding member of that group that represent over 9,000 dentists. And today, I have a real special treat for you. Um, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I, um, I go, well, of course I have. Um, about two months ago, uh, we had Bill Ellermeyer, and uh, Bill is a, a wonderful, wonderful man who basically coaches people in their second careers. Uh, you know, you've been a dentist for 35 or 40 years, and uh, uh, now you say, okay, that's all I've done. I sold my practice. Now what do I do? And Bill helps you with that, and I've had him talk to some of my clients. And Bill was on the podcast. So Bill has this fantastic uh, monthly networking breakfast where we have people from all different industries, consultants and uh, all, all different types of people. And one of, the, one of the main people in our breakfast is a gentleman by the name of Dennis Kushner. And Dennis uh, is a mergers and acquisitions and corporate turnaround specialist. So he does not work in the dental profession. But what's really cool about this breakfast is that every week, every month, Dennis gives about a 15-minute economic update. We call it the Kushner Report. And folks, I have never met anybody who is so in tune with what's going on in the uh, national and global economy, retail, manufacturing, wholesale, interest rates. So I've asked Dennis to come on to the, to the podcast this morning, and we're going to talk about What's going on in, in our national and world economy and, and what you should be aware of? Um, we're recording this in the third quarter of 2019. So, you know, that that's what we're going to talk about today. And you are going to learn a lot. You might want to have a pad of paper because Dennis is an absolute wealth of information. But before we get to Dennis, I want to give you some information. Um, my, uh, my phone number, if you'd like to get a hold of me at my CPA office in Southern California is 714-259-0505. Uh, if you want to email me a question or a comment or a complaint, uh, or whatever you'd like to email me, uh, I'm at artweederman at gmail.com. If you want to look at all of our podcasts and we've uh, done over 40 of them now, and we're, uh, uh, we're doing great. We're getting great traction, great comments. We're very, very proud of what we're doing. Uh, go to our website, which is www.hmwccpa.com. Click on the resource link, then click on podcasts, and you will see all of the podcasts and all the information about our guests, including Dennis Kushner, who you will be introduced to in a moment. And if you're looking for a dental CPC, I'm sorry, a dental CPA, enunciate, Arthur, enunciate, a dental CPA anywhere in the United States, please um, look on our website for the Academy of Dental CPAs, www.adcpa.org. If you're not working with a dental-specific CPA, um, you should, and you will get so much more out of the relationship with one of our members. So, well, anyway... 
Um, I'm going to uh, bring on Dennis. Dennis. Like I say, Dennis Kushner is a mergers and acquisitions specialist, and he helps companies with corporate turnarounds. I'm going to let him uh, talk a little bit, bit about what he does. So, Dennis Kushner, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. Thank you very much, Art. Well, well, Hello, I, everyone out there, and welcome to uh, my overview on the economy. So, first of all, Art's asked me to kind of give you a little bit of my background. I spent the last 17 years in Silicon Valley in roles as a CEO, CFO, and Chief Operating Officer of companies in high technology and biotech. In my career, I've done over 50 mergers and acquisitions, and I've been involved in a number of turnaround assignments on the West Coast. At the same time, I've done a lot of work in the area of raising funds for companies that are trying to uh, eventually either buy another company or possibly go public one day. So I have 45 years of experience in industry. And as I told Art, when I was going to college in Southern California, went to the University of Southern California, undergrad and grad school, I had talked to a professor of mine with uh, Dr. Milton Friedman, who's a famous economist like Moses, and I had an opportunity to consider going to the school, Chicago School of Economics, getting my master's degree, coupled with my PhD in, in economics, and it was very close to going, and I decided I wanted to stay more in the finance and accounting side. So my career has been in the area of finance and accounting throughout my entire career, and, and uh, no regrets. But well, having said that, uh, thank you very much for the introduction. Well, and, and Dennis, first of all, a couple things. First of all, um, being that, again, we're, we're, we're right around Labor Day. Um, are you a football fan? I am a football fan. Okay, so do do we're not going to bury our USC Trojans, are we, uh, with being that we lost our quarterback, JT Daniels? I still think it's going to be a tough year. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be going to the Utah game. Utah is a tough team. And, um, uh, the other thing is, is I, I, I should have known you're probably way too smart to be on my program because you're not allowed to be smarter than the, than the host, but I guess we'll just have to work around that today. So, um, <laughs> anyway, Dennis, I know you have a passion, uh, for, um, uh, the, uh, the Marine and the Marine Corps. Uh, the Marine Corps, I know you've talked about it in our breakfast. Talk a little bit about your work uh, with that. Sure. Uh, I currently am a member of the United States Marine Corps League, Coastal Cities out of San Clemente, California. And we have about 110 folks that are formerly Marines, active Marines, uh, people that are also in the, uh, the Navy as well. And we do a lot of volunteer work uh, throughout the community of, of San Clemente, Oceanside, et cetera. And we do a lot of work on the base. One of the roles I've done is to give back for the things I've learned along my career. So I spend time with colonels and majors, et cetera, that are retiring or leaving the military to help them with their resumes, uh, kind of tutor them in terms of what to expect when they leave the military to go to work in industry, whether it's public or private. And I help them with the resumes. I help them positioning statements and putting together a, a program to allow them to take the next step in their career. So that's something that I do on a personal basis. It's voluntary in my part, and I love it, and I've been very successful in helping folks go to the next level in their careers. So this is something that's a hobby for me. It's, it's outreach to people to give them back something that I've learned along the way that other people shared with me as I grew in my career. Well, that, that, that is wonderful. I mean, you know, the, obviously the, the, um, the veterans uh, of our United States military are, I mean, they do a, a job that, that you, you can't thank them enough for and you can't be more appreciative for. I, 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 I sponsor, and when I'm in town, I play in, uh, we, we do a Wounded Warriors golf tournament every year in, uh, at our golf club in uh, San Juan Capistrano. And um, I, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of the military, and so thank you. And then, again, a little later in the program, we'll have you give out your contact information. And, and folks, if you have any interest in, 
in getting involved in in some of the volunteer work that Dennis is doing with the with the Marines uh, and the um, uh, we can certainly uh, get you get you in touch with him. So let let's get into our topic, Dennis. Let's start by talking about what's going on in a, in the global economy, and we know there's a lot going on in the global economy. Um, with China and Brexit and and uh, Europe. So g- give us kind of an overview of what's going on in the global economy here in the third quarter of 2019. Sure. Let's, let's take a little bit of a thumbnail sketch. First of all, the United Kingdom uh, economy unexpectedly shrank for the first time in seven years last month, and the pound got clobbered. Uh, we're looking at the first time in seven years they've seen uh, a, an output fell by two-tenths of a point between April and June, which is uh, – not typical, and basically manufacturing fell along with uh, construction. And uh, there's some real concerns in that area. So we've seen that impact England specifically. In Germany, which is a real strong bellwether economy, uh, their economy shrank, meaning that Europeans' biggest economy is teetering on the edge of recession. So the German economy shrunk by uh, one-tenth of a point over the last three months, signaling a recession could be looming uh, impacting Germany right away. So these are signs that are outside the country on a global basis. Now, there's other, there are several other European economies are weathering growth slowdowns. Many of this is due to political uncertainty. And of course, Brexit fears are, fuel, are fueling a lot of concerns about what's going to happen, and especially a contraction in England. Um, as you know, they have a new prime minister, and, and there's a lot of things going on. The target for exiting Brexit is October the 31st. And we're talking about almost three years in this program. So it's hard to tell what's going to happen between now and then. There's a lot that has to be taken into account. For example, you've got 26 other partners that you have to have agreements in place, trade agreements in place. Otherwise, it'll be a disaster, I believe, for the, uh, for the British hey, economy. Hey, Dennis, can you take a second and just, because there's a lot of people that, I love my clients, when we talk about that, they look sure. at me cross-eyed. Can you kind of give a 35,000 over, overview, 35,000-foot overview of, what is Brexit? What is the European Union? And why is it so important that we bother worrying about it? Well, I mean, the, the biggest clo- the fears are our global partners in Italy and Germany all over the world. That's a big concern impacting them. So, for example, if you're living in England, when I was there earlier in the year, a lot of companies are, are that manufacture goods are very concerned and they're pulling out because of the, the impact of tariffs. Tariffs is, is a nightmare. And if you remember the community, which they have been for decades, and all of a sudden you decide to go out, now you're going to have to pay fees, substantial fees for products coming in from the, from the uh, European common market. That has a major impact on what's going on. In the past, we really haven't done a lot of business economically with, with, uh, with the British economy. But I think that uh, Boris Johnson has been talking to our president to try to uh, basically grow their economy and the reliance on the United States for economic growth. So I think you're going to see some more changes there. But there's still a lot of uncertainty, and that affects the, 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 the entire world economy. If you go back 30 years ago, the United States dominated the world economy in everything we did. And now we're a global partner, and, and so there's a lot more strength going on all across the globe, including the, uh, the uh, developing nations in Africa and in all these different places. You're seeing a lot of growth taking place. So this affects everybody. Now, I, I, I've, I've heard, and we've talked about in our breakfast, <laughs> that some of these tariffs are, are they're hurting the farmers in our country and other industries. Maybe comment a little bit about that. Sure. Let me give you the perfect example. In California, uh, we have a tremendous amount of agricultural products that are developed in this country, in the state of California that not only services the rest of the United States, but also the world. 
and specifically soybeans, which is near and dear to our hearts. And that's a major crop that is very significant, very important to our to our economy. And because of the trade wars, uh, China and uh, com- other countries are looking for other sources of product. And, and that's happening right now. And it's hurting the farmers in this country, not only in California, but across the board. Even though the government is giving subsidies, uh, some of the damage can never be repaired. And I, I can't tell you how deep that is, but you can listen to various things on the radio, television. You can also read the articles. So if the trade wars get resolved, are we going to be back in the market for moving the same amount of soybeans and, co- and corn products, et cetera, that we have in the past? That's to be determined. So that's a major impact on what's happening to, to, our, to the California economy. And the other thing is, is that the exports and imports coming into uh, California specifically and also for the rest of the United States, uh, the trade war continues. I mean, the good news is the Chinese and the United States are going to get back together again sometime in the near future to continue, to, to continue the discussions. But everybody loses in this situation. I think the Chinese are losing more than we are, but it's hurting our economy as well. You're going to feel that in all the goods, for example. Let, let me, if I can, I'd like to, let me jump into China. Sure. So chi- China's industrial output fell to a 17-year low as the trade war escalates and, and their retail sales disappoint. So we're seeing uh, a lot of problems going on. And, and our, we've talked about this early in the year. The Chinese economy is moving away from being a manufacturing-based economy more toward a service economy. What do we mean by service? Well, we're talking about software, other types of products that they can sell and services where there are greater margins than just manufacturing. Because with the oncoming uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, and other third world nations are picking up the slack and picking up manufacturing, China's moving away from that. The biggest problem is how do you redeploy those people in China that are not going to be manufacturing those types of goods any longer? Well, that's a serious problem. How do you educate the masses? And there's tremendous amount of people there. And we really don't know all the numbers that are going on in China. Some of the numbers they provide are accurate. Other people suspect there's they're not accurate. But at the end of the day, uh, three or four years ago, their, their economy was growing around, let's say, 10%. And now it's projected to go 6% or lower. So, you know, it's going down substantially. So they're seeing a lot of sluggish demand in their own marketplace for retail products as well. So, you know, only time is going to tell. But the retail sales outlook in China is very pessimistic, especially uh, that the trade wars haven't been resolved. And now there's more products that we're going to put uh, – trademarkers on and, and they're going to do the same thing. And it's, it, you know, basically it's a lose-lose and there's a lot of uncertainty and people are very concerned about what's going on. That has a big impact on business as well as individual confidence levels. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. The Japanese economy, which uh, you don't hear about too much anymore. The good news is their economy has expanded at a slow but steady pace for an extended period of time. So there has been a big pickup in economic activity within the Chinese economy. So this is very good. Uh, this is good because it provides less of an incentive for the Bank of Japan to follow other major banks and ease monetary easing by, you know, by putting more money into their economy. So that's good news on the part of Japan. So that's kind of where we are now. Uh, you know, jumping ahead, Art, if we go to the United States economy, um, you know, one of the tariffs they talked about a couple of months ago, which will be implemented now, it's it, it, the target date is the fifteenth of December. December, yeah, is. The Chinese import tariffs on we're increasing uh, on their increasing to us is going to be on cell phones, laptops, toys, and and various things in the marketplace. So we're going to see prices go up. How much will they go up? Hard to tell. There's a lot of speculation 
of how much could affect every family. So if the prices go up, your dentists, doctors, retailers, people in the, in the entertainment industry, etc., people will have less discretionary income to spend. So when you start having to tighten your belt, you start looking at what places you can look to to not to spend the money, such as like in, in travel and entertainment. Uh, if you've got a dental issue that's going to cost some money, maybe you put it off for another few months. So it's just going to have a, an effect of so-called kicking the can down the block. So I think we're going to see those types of things happening in the future. Now, the good, the, good news, the good news, and we'll be talking about retail sales too, is if these tariffs don't kick in until December 15th, they really probably, and comment to this, they may not affect the holiday shopping season, which is where retailers make, what, 40%, 50% of their money? And, and I think that, um, you know, the I think the administration realizes that. And I think what they've done is by pushing things off to the middle of December, like, say, the 15th or longer, by that time, all the inventories from the various countries around the world, including the United States, will already be on the shelves and moving to people for the Christmas holidays. So I think that will have less of an effect. It may take effect as we go into the new year. It, it remains to be seen. I mean, we could get some resolution with the Chinese as soon as, uh, you know, within the next month. There are those skeptics that believe that we're not going to get anything resolved with the trade tariffs, period, for the time being. And it could go into the next administration, which I hope they're wrong. But those people believe that that could happen. I'm, I'm more optimistic that something has to happen because it's hurting both the United States as well as China, as well as other people around the planet. So we've got to get these things resolved. It, this it was, is having a major impact. And it, there's a psychological advantage, disadvantage as well. It, it was interesting. When we were at our breakfast, we were talking about a couple of things. Number one, that the Chinese are very, very adamant in their positions. They don't move. They don't budge a lot. They may posture, but they don't budge. And the other thing that, that you or one of the other folks mentioned was that there's cities in China that are basically been built and are just have been abandoned. Well, you know what's interesting? They were building cities all over China. And the idea was to bring people in from where they were to live in the cities and work. And a lot of these cities have been completely built and no one lives there. Wow. They're vacant. And, and that's a serious problem. And we're talking about all the supplies they use, the, 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 uh, the road equipment, the field equipment, everything they're using for building supplies. Everything has been completely built and there, there's no occupancy. So I'm not sure what they're going to do about that. Hopefully in time, that could change. But right now, they have a real problem. Well, and, 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 uh, yeah, it's scary. And I mean, you look at um, uh, you look at the stock market. I mean, every you know, tr- President Trump says we're going to negotiate with them. The Dow goes up 500. President Trump says uh, uh, we're, we're going to go ahead. That, that we're going to pull all U.S. Bu- I love this. We're going to pull all U.S. businesses out of China. All U.S. businesses, uh, by my edict, must leave China. I mean, and now the the, the Dow drops 800 points. I mean, it, the, the, we'll, we'll get into the Dow and the and the uh, and the markets in a minute. So I was reading Dennis a um, uh, a quote from uh, an article from Deloitte. I'm a I'm an ex-Deloitte person from back in the 80s, so I do read their stuff. And they said, uncertainty is the dominant driving force towards the risk of recession. If people think that there's uncertainty, they might actually believe us into a recession. So you you mentioned earlier that there is the possibility of a, a, a mild recession, maybe first quarter 2020. What, what, what's your thinking on all of that? In the United I, I States. Think, I think, well, here, here's the thing. I don't know how deep that would go. There, m- many economists believe it would be modest. 
and it, it won't be that long. So, you know, what does that mean? They're not defining that, but they're not saying we're going back to 2008 or 2007, which was a disaster. You know, it, Art, if you, if you walk up to your friend and, and every day you tell him, you know, you, you don't look very good. And the guy is great, feels terrific. And then about four or five days later, you know, he says, you know, I don't feel well. And, and there's that psychological impact. I mean, with the market, people get up in the morning and they say, God, the market's down 900. Uh, somebody said this, this happened here. And, and people are nervous about their 401ks or worried about their jobs. You know, there, there's a big concern. I, I can tell you for a fact, without naming companies, there are many corporations, in, like in California, outside the outside of the state, that have either frozen jobs. They're not. They're putting their jobs on hold right now because of uncertainty. And in some cases, I know people that were temporary contract laborers have been furloughed. In other words, have been told don't come to work. They've been laid off, and, and those relationships have been cut because of concerns about what's going on in the economy now. You know, a couple things came up uh, that I saw recently. So one thing, for example, is the RV industry is very strong during a good good economy. Well, RV sales for the last couple of months are down. And I'll go into detail later about the manufacturing index. But uh, there are areas of travel and entertainment now and vacationing that's starting to, to curtail. It's starting to slow down. So that's happening because I talk to people in the travel industry. So, you know, we're, we're seeing signs. Now it, it's very light at this point. Not, you know, it's very, it's just kind of dripping like a little faucet, but, but people are concerned. And then as we get through August, now we're into September, people get serious art about the last part of the year. Hopefully the job market in, in September, October, and the early part of November will be strong. And then as we go into the holidays, it slows down and it picks up usually after the holidays, but we need good news. And I'm, I'm banking on hearing some positive things going on. Companies are strong. They're making a lot of money. Um, you know, you mentioned M&A. I'm going to talk about that later, Art. But, but there's a lot of things taking place right now, and they're not all negative. The economy is very strong right now. And when you see signs at Walmart or, or Taco Bell or Burger King or hiring, that's a good sign. When those signs go away, that's, that's when the consumer gets concerned when they're not hiring. That's, so I think that's the thing you need to be concerned about. Well, and, and the thing is, Dennis, is we're, we're, I guess we're still in full employment. In uh, my dentists tell me their number one challenge is finding good people. Our challenge in our CPA firm, it, it, it is, I mean, we just had our, I think I mentioned this on another podcast. Our, we just had our, our partner meeting uh, a month or two ago. And the number one challenge is, I mean, finding good people. So, uh, I remember back in 2008, 2009, I was advertising for a bookkeeper and I got 80 resumes in about 15 minutes. Today we get resumes, but they're just, they're just not as many. And so, uh, I mean, are we still at full employment? So, you know, let's take a look at that. First of all, an interesting statistic that you don't hear about. Well, about a month ago, a few weeks ago, a statistic came out and said, that in the United States, there are 157,288,000 individuals employed in this country. That's the highest number ever recorded. Regardless of why, that's the highest number ever recorded. And wow. I can't, we can't go into the how the data was developed. I won't go there. I'll just give you the number. Now, sure. As we've talked about, like, for example, in July, they just came out. Like In July's economy, we saw 164,000 new jobs created in the country. And that was compared to 223,000 positions created uh, at the same time a year ago in July of 2018. So it's down a little bit, okay? But the important thing here is this. This is absolutely essential. The unemployment rate 
in the United States, specifically in July, remained at 3.7%, which is the lowest since December of 1969. We're talking 50 years. Wow. So and the California report for the month of July was modest. So there were only like almost 20,000 jobs were created. That was a steep decline from 41,000 in, in uh, June. And again, the reason is we're in the, you know, we're in the vacation season. A lot of kids got out of school in June and they're, they're getting their new jobs. But the state unemployment rate is at a historic low. It's at 4.1%, which is four tenths higher than the national average. So it's strong. And the job openings over the last couple of months, just a job that's been posted is around 7.3 million jobs that are open. Now, some of those may be on hold because of concerns. Uh, some of those could go away. We don't know. But I'm telling you that the economy is very strong. If you look at the sectors, business and financial services, health and education, that means medicine, dentistry, across the board, a lot of hiring is going on. A lot of people are getting jobs, whether they're medical technicians or they work in a dental office, a lot of activity. And so people are moving from maybe one dental firm to another, from one uh, medical place from like Scripps someplace else. There's a lot of mobility right now because there's a lot of job openings and people have an opportunity to make a move. If they're not happy where they are with salary or they want to make a change, there's still a lot of latitude to do that. So that market is very strong and will continue for the time being in spite of all the concerns that we do have. Right. And uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about manufacturing. I know that's near and dear to your heart. We've talked about artificial intelligence coming in and taking away manufacturing jobs and things like that. So how's the manufacturing sector doing? Well, here's the thing in manufacturing. Um, I, I started my career out at Xerox. I worked in, a, in part of the company we did. Uh, we manufactured, developed, uh, and sold computers. So I've spent my, my career working in manufacturing high technology along with biotech, and I love it. And, and so for those of you who don't know, the state of California is the leader in manufacturing. Hard to believe, but it's true. And, and that is essential to the United States. Even though we've offshored a lot of products, a lot of activities, we're still very strong in manufacturing for different things. However, as I've told you, Art, and I've told everybody else when we have our breakfast roundtable, that a barometer of the economy is looking at the manufacturing index. And so when you're at 50.0 basis points and above, that's fine. Well, last month, in a, a, for my re- next report, in August, we had some very bad news. The, the index dropped to 47.2 or 3, I think it was. And that's a bad sign. That signals that we're either entering into or the or a recession is forthcoming. That's a major, major concern if manufacturing slows down because that's, that's a, one of the real keys to our economy. So that's a real concern going forward. Now, having said that, you have to remember with the advent of technology, process improvements, and mergers and acquisitions, we've seen a lot of jobs over the year disappear within the country, and a lot of jobs have been sent outside the country because of believing they can get it made quicker, cheaper, and so forth. But some of that is changing. A lot of manufacturing efforts are coming back to the United States because we can compete on a global basis in some areas, and I think that's very good. So there's a lot of change going on, but process improvements, software all of these types of activities are going to have a, a major impact on manufacturing to improve it, but you're going to see less labor involved in the process. And that means jobs are going to go away. I mean, and I, so where do those people go? Well, they're going to have to be retrained for other industries. And you know, as this, the country continues to age, there's going to be a lot more activity in the life sciences industry for wellness and everything else going forward. So there'll be a shift in the economy for those types of jobs. But manufacturing will continue to remain strong. 
That, that that's right. And um uh, and again we talked about artificial intelligence. I mean, what some of these companies are doing and I mean e- e- again, even in our profession, the outsourcing and everything uh companies at the end of the day, folks, companies are going to do what they're going to do to hit the bottom line and make their shareholders and their board of directors happy, right, Dennis? Yeah, you know the the, the one thing that bothers me and I learned this in school 100 years ago, and that is that in the United States you're as good as your last 90-day uh, results. In other words, every 90 days, they come out with, with earnings for publicly traded firms. And, and, the, and the interesting thing is if you go to Japan, they're focused on the long term. And we're focused on every 90 days because that's the way the stock market is. You, you're, you're, as, you're as strong as you are based on your last quarterly results. And, and when your, your quarter goes down or the economy goes down and you go down with it, that has a major impact to stockholders. And there's a lot of talk about changing the emphasis on, 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 on the whole stock market process, if you will. But that's a problem in the marketplace. And the last thing you want to do is, what did you do for me last quarter? Well, now we're coming to the end of the quarter. The end of September is the end of the third quarter. Um, I'm, I believe that we'll see an impact, a positive impact in the area of retail sales. How much? Don't know. Because kids are going back to school, either from you know K through 12 or college, et cetera. People are buying school supplies and so forth. Maybe not as much, but they are spending on those types of activities. Now, you talk about retail sales, Dennis. And again, we've talked about this. The conversation at this breakfast meeting is just scintillating. And I'm not kidding. It's really, really interesting. Um, uh, Brick and mortar malls are not doing anywhere near as well as they did 10 years ago. Um, I always joke that are we not living in the United States of Amazon? Uh, I mean, Amazon is getting into everything. Amazon is selling dental supplies 20% cheaper than everybody else. I mean, uh, talk about that a little bit. Sure. So let me tell you about uh, the, the retail industry is an interesting area. First of all, retail sales uh, overall, overarching retail sales continue to decline, okay? And and you're still seeing a lot of the, the malls are being reconfigured. For example, a mall in, in Orange County, I can't remember where it is, uh, the belt, the, the, uh, Anchor company moved out. It could have been a Macy's. It could have been a Nordstrom. But they moved out of that particular mall, and the mall was in serious trouble. Well, the United States government opened up a, a postal annex, and a couple of restaurants opened up, and, and they're, getting, they're trying to get more people into the malls. But as we've talked about over the years, the malls are 25, 30, 40 percent of the malls in the next few years are going to go away. It, it, it just, it, it's going to happen. There's just too many of those, and, and people are moving to, to doing a lot of work online. So the malls to survive are, are reconfiguring what they're doing. So brick and mortar, a lot of it is moving to internet commerce. And so, for example, if you went into a Macy's and, and you bought a particular shoe over the years, and you find out that the shoe is not there anymore, you can still buy it from Macy's online, but they're not going to carry that, that particular item in the store. So they're cutting back. They're doing a, what's called an ABC, if you will, evaluation of inventories and trying to uh, just keep those inventories that are moving online. So Macy's, JCPenney's. Uh, all of these stores are, are, are all suffering, and it's not going to change. I mean, it, it, it's the way it is of the future, so they're going to downside. Um, I, I, Sears has been dead for a long time, I, I, but they're still hanging in there. I was just going to say, when did you ever? Longer. When did you ever think that you would see companies like Circuit City and Sears <clears throat> having such horrible, horrible problems? I mean, when. Well, the, if you stop and think about it, Best Buy is, is really only one of the last ones yeah. standing. That's yeah. what they do. They are. And all, all of their competitors are gone. 
And, and so, you know, Amazon, uh, I spent some time many years ago, we, we met with Jeff Bezos on a, a potentially a, a consulting project at Amazon and it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. And they were potentially on the verge of going bankrupt and, and they changed their supply chain and now they can't do anything wrong. So Amazon continues to set the benchmark for innovation. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit that later about their entry into the real estate market. Remind me to tell you that later. It's very interesting. But if you go back to what's going on in retail, Retail is heavily, it not only is inventory, it's very labor uh, involved. And so what the, what you're seeing happening now is they, they want to reduce labor content. So for example, Amazon opens up some stores. And so I live in San Diego. There's a store, there, there's virtually very few people in that store. And you go in, you buy something, you buy it on your cell phone, you check out, and that's the way it goes on your credit card. So there are less people walking around to help you. They're going to stock the shelves. So they're cutting back on labor contact. Um, there are fewer people. Look, you go to some of the stores, for example, um, you're seeing that, uh, let's take a Vons, for example, or a Safeway. You'll find out they're getting rid of more and more cash registers that are, that are you with, with people checking you out. Right. And you go to self checkout and you can't check out liquor, but you can check out. So what they're trying to do is either redeploy people or basically eliminate them. And it's not going to change. The food industry is the same thing. All across the board, it's all about reducing things and increasing the hourly rate to $15, $20, $30 an hour will have a major effect on how some of the restaurants and other retail outlets will survive in the long term. That, that, that's going to be a major problem. That's right. That's right. Let me, let me touch. I want to talk about interest rates. I'm going to read a quote uh, Federal Reserve from Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell. He expressed concern about uncertainty. He says the Fed must focus on things that affect the outlook over time, or that pose a material risk of doing so. But fitting trade policy uncertainty into this uh, framework is a new challenge. So interest rates are still very, very low. Where do you see interest rates going? I'll tell you what. um, I was surprised that they actually dropped the, the interest rate before, because if you look at it from a conservative standpoint, I think if they continue to take the interest rates down, um, we're not going to have any tools in the ch- in the in the, uh, in the chest if you right, right. be able to deal with the economy. So I th- I think you know I realize what's going on with the administration and the Federal Reserve, but I if it, me personally I would keep interest rates where they are. You can't continue to re- to reduce them. If you do, you're not going to have any tools, if you will, to offset recession. And I think they need to keep the keep the rates where they are. I agree with the Federal Reserve. Secondly, there's too much volatility. I mean, every day it's up and down, up and down concern. The dollar is extremely strong. And that has an effect on the buying power that people have that are not in this country, as well as that live in this country. So our dollar is very strong. And, and so that's a key. If you look at other countries around the world, the interest rate impact, they have what they call uh, negative interest rates and say, what does that mean? Well, it means art, I'm going to put $500 in Art's bank and Art's going to charge me a fee because I'm, I'm putting my money in it to be saved. So in other words, I want you to spend the money. I don't want you putting the money in the bank. That way you stimulate the economy. I love that. How how do we get that to work on home mortgages, Dennis? Well, you know, (laughs) you should bring that up. Uh, You know, the, 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 I think that the housing market is going some, is going to start going through some major changes. First of all, as I reported last month, the, the average interest rate for 30 year fix the day that I looked at it, it was, uh, it it went from 3.58 to 3.46. Okay. And, and to me, that's very for a 30-year fixed loan. Now, again, you can always get s- certain kinds of deal, but this is just across the board. What we're seeing happening now is prices are beginning to come down. 
it's becoming more of what I would call a buyer's market rather than a seller's market. There are low inventories. Um, some of the people, like when I lived in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, that, that want to sell their home and go someplace, they're concerned about the impact of capital gains. Right. So that, that could have a major impact if you decide to sell your home and you made zillions of dollars. How much am I going to have to pay in taxes? So the concern is maybe I just stay here and not move. So there's those concerns. The other thing is a lot of people can't qualify based on their credit worthiness to get that. Now, and then you have what's called the millennials, our new gang. And they have a different way of living with things. Uh, some of them stay home longer. They live at home longer. Um, they're not getting married. They, 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 they want to rent. They really don't want to be tied down with debt. And so now you're looking at who the buyers are. So, you know, we talk about the changes that are going on across the board in real estate. So we're seeing prices coming down a bit. But if you look at Orange County and Los Angeles County, it's still very strong. It's changing. And, and it's going to continue to change. And the problem is the affordability index is such that people can't afford to buy in, in California regardless. And therefore, you're seeing a lot of people leaving. So, for example, is existing home sales last month in July for the July tank rent were up 2.5%. And usually they're a lot higher in the summertime. New home sales, new home sales in general, they dip 12.8% during the month after a strong June. So, so people aren't sales. buying new homes. That's right. Now, Here's just something that you need to think about. The housing market crisis is worsening. So a lot of the home builders in California, they're pulling back from new construction due to higher construction costs and declining sales. So what does that mean? When I lived up north and this started happening, with a slowdown, developers begin to cut prices to move inventory of new units so they can generate cash flow to go on to the next projects. And we're seeing that starting now. That's, that's happening in the real estate market. Wow. So I think you're going to see more of that happening. And then I mentioned a, mo- a moment ago, um, you know, what's happening in, with, with Amazon. So Amazon has just got a new hat. They're called the Amazon Partners with Real Estate Brand. And what they're doing now is they're launching what's called Smart Tech Heavy Home Buying Program. What does that mean? It, it's looking at uh, setting up a test marketplace in 15 cities where what they'll do is they're going to work with specific agents. And what they're going to do is once they connect and they pre-vet somebody and someone's going to be able to close the deal, that agent will be incentivized. And therefore, in exchange for closing with that agent, they'll get anywhere from one to $5,000 in Amazon home products and services. Oh and my perks. God, seriously. So they're, in, so they're getting into the real estate business. So what does that mean? It means that a lot of the people that have been in real estate for, for a number of years have got a problem. So you're going to see uh, a lot of people either join the club or they're going to be displaced. Wow. So you're going to see that real estate market changing. And that, it changes all the time. But that's one of the last bastions that we've had that's been traditional for, for decades. Hey, so you're going to see that whole market change. So, Dennis, take a second. I want you to talk a little bit about what you do with mergers and acquisitions. I want you to – and again, folks, Dennis does not make his living in the dental uh, industry. But if you if you know of anybody, he as you can tell, he's an unbelievable wealth of knowledge, a very intelligent man. Uh, and, and, and if you, if you have anybody who's, uh, a friend, family member, who's got a company that's maybe having some difficulties that, that he can help, uh, come and do some turnaround. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about what you do or, uh, your company's going through a merger, you know, Dennis can help. So first Dennis, give out, give out your phone number and then talk a little bit about mergers and acquisitions, maybe not only in the economy, but, but a little bit of how you do it. Well, uh, my, first of all, my, the best way to reach me is on my cell, which is 408. 408- 
6210930. So several years ago, I worked with a firm up north, and what they were, it was a small dental practice for those that are near and dear to your heart. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the idea was that they, they wanted to do a roll-up strategy in the Bay Area. They wanted to go out and expand by by buying other dental practices. Rather than opening up new offices, they wanted to find some existing practices that they could buy, bring them in, and, and reduce costs, if you will, and provide more expanded services. So you, you're going to see more of that coming. So the, the first thing that has to be done is if somebody wants to buy a company or they want to get acquired, it just doesn't happen by saying, sell my company. I mean, you have to go through an educational process, and that is to be prepared to sell your practice or buy another company. And looking to see if you want to buy something, does it fit into your company? Is it strategic? Right. And that's key. A lot of companies, whether it's in the dental industry, whether it's in retail, high technology, biotech, energy sector, a lot of times, and you've seen this, companies buy a company for the wrong reasons, yep. which is a disaster. And you can look at like uh, Microsoft buying Nokia phones, a train wreck. You look at Globe. Uh, Google that bought, I believe it was uh, Motorola, and, and it turned out where they ended up getting rid of it. So they buy things sometimes for the wrong reasons. But I, I think that if you want to expand your dental practice, I think one is how do you differentiate yourself from your competition, both in a marketing perspective and a service perspective. Uh, pricing is also important beyond just the insurance price. And, and a lot of it is how you relate to your, to your clientele. Yeah. And, you know, it has to be with uh, does a consumer who buys your service have confidence in you that they're getting a, you know, they're getting good service and they're paying a fair price for what you, what you have to do. So as I'm thinking about this, Dennis, we have a lot of, a lot of doctors in this economy that are buying up practices. It's one of the biggest things that's going on in dentistry. You have doctors that own one, two, five, 10, 20, 30 practices, and they do it for different reasons. A lot of them are doing it because private equity loves dentistry. Because it's right. cash flow, it's reliable, it's solid. Uh, the dental profession has one of the, if not the lowest default rate in, uh, in any, uh, any profession, any industry. So if someone, I mean, you might be able to help someone if they were trying to build an empire and, sure. you know, they own 10 or 15 or 20 practices and they want to go, uh, merge up into private equity. You, you could help them with that, couldn't you? Sure. So, I, I think one thing you want to think about if you're in planning of either selling or buying a business, you need to think about what's critical. And here's where the failures occur. It's called integration. So when the deal is done, it, the, the integration of people, processes, and the technology have to be done right. And if they're not, there's a high probability that, that uh, you're facing a train wreck. And, and I've seen this happen all too often. So it, it's absolutely essential that once you buy something or you sell something, you really have to be involved in, in to make this a viable business by integrating everything so it, it's become seamless and the company can go on and move. And you're talking about culture and you're talking about the, the technology, accounting systems, what software you use, et cetera. It's just not easy. You walk in and you buy the place and you say, okay, we keep moving along. There's a lot of back, uh, back end processes that have to be taken into account before you can successfully buy another company. And there's no guarantee that it'll work, but it'll give you a better chance of being successful in, in the new in the new so, area and so, i think you're going to see more consolidation in the dental industry oh yeah and the optometry in, in the area of optometry as well so doctors if you have if you are thinking about uh you're a multiple practice owner you're thinking about being a multiple practice owner um dennis would be a great uh 
great resource. We'll have him give out his information again at the end, and it'll also be on our website, www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resources page, go to the podcast page, and when we post the podcast, um, it'll be in mid-September, uh, you'll be able to get Dennis's information. So, hey, Dennis, let's we got a little bit of time left. Let, let's talk about the, the thing that scares me the most uh, in our economy is our $22 trillion debt. I mean, you know, the government has no qualms about just adding to it. I mean, the, the, the Trump administration has added probably, what, $2 trillion to it and yep. uh, all this stuff. I mean, I've I've been to lectures where you know the I mean, you know, the debt buried Greece. It's buried other countries. Um, how much debt can this economy handle? And what happens? Because it's not a matter of when, if it's a matter of when we get to thirty five or forty trillion. There's got to be a point where we can't take on anymore. Where is that? Comment on that. Well, unfortunately, because of how the global economy is changing and, and the debt structure is changing, it's, it's very hard to tell. All I can tell you is get, it's getting worse. And, and sooner or later, we're going to hit a wall. And I'm not sure what that number is. It's the $25 trillion, it's the $30 trillion, But sooner or later, we're going to have to pay the piper down the road. And it's just a matter of time. And, and it's going to have a major impact. Um, you, you look at some of the – just take a look at the, the loan situation with, with colleges. I mean, what is there, $1, 2 $3 trillion outstanding? And they're having a hard time getting people to pay for, you know, to pay back the money they borrowed for their loans. And then people are, are, are really uh, in debt substantially, $100,000, $200,000, and they don't have jobs that are going to generate that kind of return that can be paid off in a short period of time. So the debt structure is killing us. And it, it's just going to continue to put the country in more harm's way. Uh, I'm uh, not sure. I mean, there's a, if you talk to 10 economists, each one will have a little bit different view of the world as to what that is and when it happens. But at some point in time, uh, we, we've got to deal with this. Well, and, and if it's, you, just going, it's going to get worse. If you do the math, okay, let's do the math. $22 trillion. Every 1% that interest rates go up that we have to pay on this debt is $220 billion a year. And I think we bring in about $3.1 or $3.3 trillion in revenues. I mean, $220 billion is a lot of money. That's, that's 1% if the interest rates go up. And at some point, uh, the, the the Chinese and the Japanese who hold a lot of our debt are going to say, well, you know, I, I think we want a little higher return, aren't they? Yeah. You know, th- there, was a, there was a ratio that I saw, and I just can't remember what it was. We'll have to look it up, Art. And that is what the, the debt ratio was to GDP. And it was shocking how much money, what, what that – that relationship was it was it was really it was scary to and, see that and unfortunately unfortunately dennis i don't remember if it's 40 percent or 60 percent but the vast majority of our federal budget is is in, in, in use the word entitlements is is fixed there's not much we can do it's in it's in medicare it's in um social security it, it, it's in all those things and the problem is is that you know politicians know that there's 45 to 50 million people over the age of 65 in this country. And if they start messing with Medicare and Social Security, those people are going to vote differently. And that's why they don't do it, even though realistically it's all a math problem and they need to do something. Well, you know, one of the things that that we talked about before was the impact of the changes in the taxes and the bang we're going to get in terms of growth and everything. And to be candid, it hasn't happened. Yeah, let's talk about that. 
Yeah. So, so the problem is, and, and I've heard something like 60 to 70 million people are really on social security. That many. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, but the, the biggest concern is what is the impact? So corporations got to break on taxes. Look, they were talking about how people were paying uh, what with corporation rent, what was 35%. Right. And you know what? I'll tell you what uh, I saw with the, the, uh, there was a run rate, which was what was the average, what was the actual rate that companies were really paying? It was somewhere around 16%. That's right. That's what they were paying. Yeah. And so to me, it was very misleading saying, you know, everybody has to pay 35%. Well, you do if you don't have any deductions. Right. You right. manage your business, right? But the, but the, the, the average corporation, pays some taxes, but it's around 13 or 14 percent, 15, and now it's lower. So we're generating fewer dollars on taxes and we're spending a lot more money. So it's getting worse. So at some point in time, you've got to change the tax structure. And in the state of California, because of the high cost of real estate here in in, in New York specifically, um, you're limited in terms of how much money you can write off on property taxes and mortgage interest on your home. And and so I have a friend of mine that is very wealthy that has a home in in, uh, Southern California, and the change in the taxes, it costs him now for his his mortgage and everything else, property tax, et cetera, $135,000 last year. Yep. It, it's, and, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's, it wasn't a blink of the eye, but that's substantial. No, that, that is, that is a, uh, that is a lot of money. And the other thing that I, that I've read about Dennis is that, you know, the theory behind the, you know, cut the tax rates, trickle down economics, all this stuff is that companies are going to take that money and they're going to reinvest it. But what they're doing in a lot of cases that I've read is they're buying back their own stock. That's right. And, exactly. and, and so that, that doesn't help, uh, that doesn't help the economy. And, uh, you know, they're also, uh, they've also repatriated, uh, they, they've cut the tax rate. Like for example, Apple, um, Apple wrote a check to the federal government for $38 billion because they brought about $250 billion of money from offshore back into our country. So that, that's a, that's a, a good thing. But, you know, one of the unfortunate things, and I do not folks get into politics, as you know, on this show, but unfortunately, because of the very volatile relationship that president Trump has created with the national media, uh, you never hear really about any good things that are happening. And there are good things that are happening. No, I mean, look, l- let's be candid. Uh, you know, whether you like or dislike the president, uh, that, that's your own opinion. But right. the, the bottom line is he's done, he's done some very good things. But unfortunately, because of his Twitter account and everything like that, 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 that sort of gets it overshadows a lot of things. But the, the real key is everybody wants to have a job. Everybody wants to be able to go to the movies or go to Disneyland and do stuff and take vacations. I mean, that's what people want to do. They want to be able to uh, be able to buy a house somebody or a townhouse or a condominium. They want to be able to do things. And, and the real key is, is your checkbook. That's, that's right. the bottom line. And, yeah. and so to me, how people feel is how they feel about having a job and not looking for a job because they're unemployed or, yeah. or the fact that their company got acquired and they moved out of San Diego and they moved to Ireland or they moved to New York or they moved to Boston. Yeah, but- and, and you can go back. And so that, that's a concern. Yeah. That's a big concern. People don't feel this concern right now because it's hard to find people that are looking for work. But, you know, when will we go into recession? If we can get the trade deficit resolved with China and it's reasonable and it's workable, it could continue to extend the economy. For how long, I don't know. But, I mean, you know, it could keep it moving. I learned something a long time ago that folks need to think about. Everybody needs to remember that, you know, if you stop the train called the economy, it's very difficult to get it started again. Right. So the last thing we want to do is it slows down as one thing, but if it goes into recession, the train stops, it 
takes a tremendous effort and a lot of luck to get the economy moving again. And it's very painful. And a lot of people suffer. And some of these people will never recover. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's my biggest concern because, you know, that we're an aging population. That, that's right. And, and, you know, you look at the dental industry, Dennis. I mean, I've been in the dental industry 35 years. 2008, obviously one of the worst economic downturns we've ever had back to the, the, Great, uh, the Great Depression. And you know what? The dental profession suffered. They, my clients were down 5%, 10%, maybe 15%. Sure. And again, some of you listening might say, well, I was down 40%. But I will tell you what is the dental profession came through the worst economic downturn ever, probably, pretty much with flying colors and 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 they're doing very very well and it's all about watching your store looking at your metrics like we talk about uh and again if you guys are looking at buying practices you might want to give Dennis a call i mean he he, he is a, one of the smartest guys i've ever met to be real blunt about it and, <laughs> you and give me too much credit well i give you a little i mean i have to because you're on the other end of the phone here Dennis i have to but so anyway, Dennis, we're coming about the end of our time. What, what, any final comments uh, that you want to tell people about kind of what's, what to look for in the next 12 months? I know we got an election coming up in about 12 months or so. I, I just think you need to, we need, we need to look at what's going on with consumer confidence, business confidence, manufacturing. There's some fundamental indexes out there, uh, whether people are traveling or they're, they're taking vacation time. Uh, how much are they spending, for example, in the stores on retail products? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether they buy it on brick and mortar or they buy it on the internet. What's the overall sales process taking place? And that, that's the real issue. That's right. So I, I think you just be, you need to be aware of what's happening. Watch the housing market. I mean, that's the barometer. And well, I, I, again, like I said, we've got to get something resolved with, with China. Yeah, well, I don't know when that's going to happen or if it's going to happen in the immediate future. And, and China, me, China's, tough. China's tough. China's tough. Dennis, Dennis Kushner, you, as you can tell, folks, now you understand why I brought Dennis onto the program. He is an unbelievable wealth of information. One more time, just give your phone number out. Sure, it's 408-621-0930. And remember, the real thing you want to keep in mind is the viability of your practice. That yep. is the key for you. Yep, absolutely. Well, and again, Dennis, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And just hang on before... Uh, before I go ahead and sign off, just give you again a little information, folks. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm at 714-259-0505 uh, or email me at artwiederman at gmail.com. Uh, go on to our website, www.hmwccpa.com. Look up the resources tab. Look up podcasts. You'll see all the podcasts. You will see uh, Dennis's episode. Again, we'll be posting that in uh, the middle of September of 2019. Um, and if you are looking for a dental specific CPA anywhere in the United States and you are not working with one, shame on you. You should be working with a dental CPA from the Academy of Dental CPAs. And that's www.adcpa.org. Dennis Kushner, my friend, thank you so much for your time and your amazing expertise in the economy. We will have you back on this program again sometime in the future. So hopefully we'll have a We'll have the trade thing worked out, and we'll have uh, GDP growth at, uh, well, higher than 2.2%, and hopefully it'll get better. All right? Thank so, you, Art. Thank you, Dennis. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this episode of The Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.